0: Stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago, this is Zach's Market Edge.
1: Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, and he's here in the office here in Chicago to discuss the state of the economy And how the tax reform is going to impact stocks in 2018. What we need to be looking for, because this is our last show of the market edge for 2017. So, of course, we're going to be looking forward. Um, But earlier in the year, John was here on the podcast, and we talked about the possibility of recession and what could happen if we got 4% growth. I think those were in two different shows. I can't remember now, but we discussed all of this over the course of this year. And earlier, John, we concluded that there were no signals indicating recession. Not even in unemployment, not in the yield curve, not in the ISMs. Nothing was signaling it. So we put the kibosh on the recession, and we were right. There was none. (laughs) So that's done. Um, And now here we are. 2018 is looming. We have the largest tax cut in corporate history, supposedly looks like, about to happen into next year. And we have some interesting things developing with the bond market yield curve that most people might not. paying attention to or even know about really. Um, But I know economists are looking at this and it's starting to make its way out there in the discourse now about this flattening of the yield curve. So what does that mean when they talk about the yield curve? This is the 10 and the two year, right? And the difference between them basically.
0: Right. So the way to think about inverted yield curve means the short rate is higher than the long rate. So what you have to think about is the long rate is supposed to reflect a sum of all the short rates that are coming, right? Your 10-year rate is the one-year rate 10 times over, right? So if the short rate for one year is higher than the long rate for over 10 years, what that tells you is that the market's expecting a lot of short-term rate hikes, right? more, And the basic idea is that the Fed overdoes hikes in the face of something, and when they do overdo it, they tip the economy over. So an inverted and yield curve leads to a recession, right? So the inverted yield curve is the market predicting too many rate cut hikes and an overdone uh, Fed Fed recession, Fed-related recession, right? So inverted yield curves are about this idea of overdoing it, too many rate hikes, and tipping the economy over.
1: Um, I saw some stats that said when the Fed started raising rates in 2015, the um, distance between the, the on the yield curve was like 1.4, right? And now it's at 0.5, and this is what's getting everybody all like oh nervous going into next year because it hasn't inverted yet. The 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 two-year has not caught up to the 10-year yet, but it's getting closer and closer, and the 10-year is not rising. And um, I know just recently in this week, there's been talk out of the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari. He said that he did not vote for the rate increases for in December that just happened. He was one of the dissenters, and this is the third time he's dissented this year, because of the yield curve, and that—I um want to quote him here, because he wrote an article on Medium about this. He said um that the bond market is telling us the odds of a recession are increasing. Already,
0: though? I mean, it
1: has not inverted. The flat yield curve isn't necessarily a bad thing, is it?
0: No, I— Here's the thing that that also one has to add is the inverted yield curve was a language that came out of the pre-quantitative easing interest rate environment. So the problem with all of the logic is the linkage between the short and the long curve I told you about is being disrupted because quantitative easing is about buying long-term corporate bonds and not playing this game at all, basically disrupting that game and pushing all – kinds of pressure on the 10-year, the basically five to 10-year bonds. You're pushing, you're buying them. You're not buying short-term bonds. You're only long-term bonds. So this is done by the two different institutions right now. The ECB is doing this buying and the Fed is doing the hiking. So the problem with it is, is because of these interventions by major entities, this is not a market consistent ratio. So it's just a reflection of how much pressure the ECB is putting on the long end and how much likelihood the Fed is to hike on the short end. So there are two different institutions doing two opposite things. So it's reflecting the differences in the synchronization of two economies. Their economy is moving out of a, into a stronger expansion with more stimulus to come. We are coming into a late cycle. We are ahead of them in the, in the cycle, basically. So- the problem with it is that's what it's reflecting and it even could invert in an environment like this because of the manipulation. It's like it's like OPEC and the oil price, right? I mean, is this a market price for oil? Not no. really, right? right? And this is the same thing for interest. When you start to manipulate trillions of dollars of bonds, you and then use the same language of history. Right. You're not understanding very basically, the incredible elephant that's leaning on everything now called these central banks.
1: Okay, because I know a lot of people are saying that if it inverts, it's a 100% guarantee of a recession because that has happened every time it's inverted in the last 50 years. We've had the recession right. within, I think, 18 months or something. Right,
0: And in the past 50 years, we didn't do quantitative easing. Right. So okay. the historical record with quantitative easing is untested.
1: Okay, so we're in uncharted waters.
0: We're in uncharted waters. And the reflection I take from the existing tightening of the yield curve, because it's all short end related, the long end is not moving, which is consistent with the ECB not stopping QE until the second half of 2018. That is consistent. It should not move because it cannot move. The short end to the two-year is moving up because the market is correctly anticipating over the next year and a half to be you know, two to three more hikes. Um, it's not ripping ahead. So what we're learning is the Fed story is relatively being consistently reflected in the short run to two years. And the long end is still basically showing the ECB story out until mid 2018. The beginning of some kind of historical event that's accurate to the past 50 years would have to be post the not only the quantitative easing, but the negative rate environment in Sweden, you, in ECB land, and in Japan. Because those are also the things, there's negative rates out there. So, yeah. But that's a negative rate on deposits at the central bank, which is another nuance that gets lost in people's language. But the bottom line is central banks are doing new and different things and really manipulating the interest rate environment. And therefore... These existing relationships that were based on very orthodox, uh, small uh, interventions by Federal Reserve banks of the past is no longer likely to be a harbinger of what's going on.
1: Okay, well, that's something we'll be watching in 2018. I'm sure I'll have you on it if it does invert. We'll we'll do the another right. show. And, and the thing
0: is, <laughs> it really could invert, and it, it really yeah. it could mean something. But it, it's 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 a nuanced. Okay. There's so many nuances. It's not going to be, you know, Neil Kashkari is a genius. Right, right. It's not going to (laughs) happen.
1: Well, yeah, we can talk about that too if it happens. Um, Okay, so let's move on to this tax cut then. So we're going to get the largest corporate tax cut, like I said earlier. And earlier in the year, we talked about what it could take to get to 4% GDP for the U.S. economy again. Um, I think we concluded we could get there briefly, but we can't hold it just because of demographics and the generation X isn't large enough. Um, Unless we had massive immigration, I guess of some sort that could do it. But um, so what what is your expectations for these tax cuts? Um, We're going to talk in a minute about what it means for investors in some of these corporations, which ones you might want to be in to take advantage of a tax cut kind of thing. But, um, you know, this is a lot of money, it seems, that's going to Suddenly, this is a stimulus. So well, can it stimulate us all the way to 4% here, Here's an example,
0: Tracy. We're doing this at noon uh, at lunchtime. So for both corporations and businesses, this analogy applies, but in separate uh, scenarios, right? So corporate taxes are going to apply in the same way that they're doing what they're doing, the individual taxes. But think of it this way. You and I can go out for lunch and get a shake, a vanilla shake, and... That represents wealth, right? A big shake. And the straw we're drinking out of the wealth shake is our income. That's the income, right? The potential yeah. for us is the size of the straw, not the size of the shake, right? You don't right. guzzle the shake. You, you, you drink through the straw. That's true. So that's income. right? It's a flow out of a straw. Now, the thing is, that's not what growth comes from. Growth does not get computed with income. It comes from consumption. So it's amount that you and I consume out of the straw from the shake. Wealth, the shake, the straw, income. What we drink, consumption. So the idea of a corporate tax cut is businesses will have a bigger milkshake. They will have more wealth. They'll have more wealth available. They'll do more right. investment, right? The problem with this is, Incomes aren't going anywhere. Right? And are you and I going to really drink more of a shake every day for 10 years because it's twice as big? Right. Does that happen? Is it true that Tracy and I are going to go out tonight, see, oh my God, the government's given us <laughs> shakes that are twice as big. Right. And we're going to drink twice as much for the next 10 years. Right. What's wrong with that? The wrong of that is you and I just don't simply drink shakes right. that much.
1: It would be, um, it reminds me of... You know, giving this kind of tax cut to a company like Darden, which owns the Olive Garden, are they going to suddenly open up more Olive Gardens? That's that's the theory, though, that they would. But me as a consumer, I'm not. I don't need that other Olive Garden. (laughs) You don't need the other. They're they're shutting them down, anyways, in some locations. So we don't need. So then, what do they do with the money?
0: Exactly. So they just don't need it. So then it becomes a wealth manufacturing. What they're going to do with wealth? They might do the wealth. Stimulus through the stock market, giving yeah. it to the shareholders, raising the stock price. But here's the problem with that. the The volatility of stock market wealth is well known by consumers as well as businesses. So when you actually stimulate a stock market, the ratio of improvement to growth is 20 to 1. And that is a number that usually comes over a historical record. But remember, it's probably even lower when a market is going from high to higher because you're probably discounting the last 10% that's going to come here because you think, well, I've already done a wealth effect. Now, again, we're talking about now if I give you – we've already doubled the shake and you and I are still not drinking it. Now we'll triple it. Yeah. And what's the marginal propensity to you and I to really step up? It's probably even less because we already drank a lot. Right. So it's actually probably higher, 25 or 30 to 1 with this level of market. So you're being actually generous with the 21. But that's the problem here. Even generously at 20 to 1, what's 5% of the stimulus? So the market, here's the thing. I mean, a trillion-dollar stimulus will end up being, you can do the math, one-twentieth of that. So 10% is a $100 billion. Five percent is fifty billion dollars. So that's what it is. It's a fifty billion dollar stimulus on a one point a seventeen trillion dollar economy. And then you can do the math on that. That will be somewhat about a point three or point four pop. Yeah. For uh for the for the moment in consumption terms. Because the idea is it's been an investment bubble. Here's the other problem with that is The constraining thing on investment is demand, as we've already pointed out, right? Which is consumption related. The other problem is, consumption, no matter what you do, is fifteen to twenty percent of the growth rate of the economy because that's just how much it is when current terms are spent. The investment boom has to be basically, you know, you have to knock a fifth off any investment quote boom because of that thing. So, it's just not going to be very big, okay? Right? And that's the thing is you you just and if you want to get the growth up, then you have to get a bigger straw and you have to get people who want milkshakes that don't have them and and want to drink. See, the hungrier people, the needier people, that's why they say give the in-earning income tax rate to the poorer people because they're going to consume more, right? Yeah. Because they're going to need it more. And so this is where the logic, the economist is having to struggle with this policy because it is wealth enhancing, which is a volatile and very weak tie to the amount people consume or invest. And therefore, the growth rates that economists will produce for you in a study are very, very low, strikingly low, because of this logic. So instead of getting into whether someone's math or whether or not, just keep in mind the logic of, is it true when you go to Shake Shack and get a doubling of the shake size that you're happy because you always, for the next 10 years, will always drink twice as much every day? Right. You're not going to do it. No. No. And Shake Shack isn't betting on you doing it. They're not going to bet on you doing it. They're going to bet on you saving more, putting it in stocks that are going to go up and feeling wealthier and feeling more confident. Yeah. You might get a boost in you and I going to better stuff and more, you know, discretionary things, home remodeling might go up. I was going to say. Right?
1: Car buying. Car buying. We saw some
0: we saw some a house buying that's coming up pretty dramatically. This makes sense because if I get a 100 grand and I'm feeling a little stronger, I might convert, people might cash in for other, homes and cars strike me as where you might see some of the growth Okay. in a consumption manner.
1: Okay, so discretionary.
0: Discretionary and largely attributable to people feeling an extension. They're gonna do a model and add another five (laughs) grand and put a stove in and just feeling a little better about things. I think that's where you'd see it.
1: Okay. Um, So if I'm an investor and I want to play this tax cut some way um, in any of these companies, obviously it sounds like I want the domestic oriented type of companies, it would seem. And some of those, it seems, I know some of the big domestics pay the most corporate tax. So CVS's CEO was on CNBC, um, a little bit earlier in the year when they announced the Aetna acquisition. And he said that they're among the largest of the corporate taxpayers in the country. So they paid $3.3 billion last year. But I looked up their effective tax rate and I saw that was 38%. So these guys are going to see considerable cut there, almost 50%. They could get over a billion dollars just basically handed to them. Yeah, Is this the type of company I want to be in? But it sounds like, no, for the large caps... What are they going to do with the extra billion?
0: Well, they this is their thing, they could do a special dividend or a share of buyback, so it yeah. could be shareholder friendly. Yeah. It just okay. depends. The thing, the the linkage we don't know here is again, it's it's the what they're going to do because they right. can do literally nothing, keep the money in yeah. in the bank on a CD, and then therefore we won't experience it all, or do a special dividend, so you go directly one for one immediately, just get it. Yeah. Or some facsimile in between. So the decision making of the CFO is the missing link here. Right. What right. is this? What, yeah. So we had to ask ourselves what does CFO of CVS do? He does what the board and the CEO tell him to do. Right. And that's the question we. We kind of have know. to answer, yeah.
1: So I looked at some of the railroads because I was wondering what was going to happen there. So Union Pacific paid $4.7 last year, so even more than CVS. That's huge. And their tax rate is 37%, so they're going to see a big cut too. But the thinking goes, someone like uh, Union Pacific, or um, they're not UNH, they're just U- Union Pacific, UP, they um, should be able to you know, invest that money. They, maybe they replace track or they open up a new, um, you know, they have those big uh, connectors on their routes with along the Mexican border there. Those aren't cheap. Those cost a couple hundred million dollars, but the the th- thinking is with a company like that or someone in, you know, some kind of manufacturing business that they are going to invest back into their facilities. Um, and all of that will increase and help the economy. Do, is that a possibility too, or
0: it's a possibility? I mean, the thing is, we just don't know what happens in that those conversations, and we don't know the circularity here—whether they all sit and wait and see, yeah, or whether someone moves. You know, there's a gaming thing. You, you know, all the railroads get the benefit. So, do I feel like I got to upgrade because BN's upgrading, or do right. we all wait and see, or do I notice that the BN? board did a share buyback. So I go there. There's, 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 it's very hard in an unprecedented situation like this to think about it because it's not like uh, a a mechanical macroeconomic thing. It's, it's a decision that people will take. Yeah. Companies are different than individuals. There's a fair, fairly strong corporate board situation for a, a thing like this. And I have to imagine we're going to just find out, by watching what's going to happen. But if, there is positive ways of imagining yeah. boards spending money. I yeah. think that that is a bull case that has merit if you just think about it. They have an extra billion or two. If that is in fact been uh less of a concern and they feel like they can they have a certain amount of surplus they would like to keep and they have an extra couple billion on hand now. Yeah. And they get in a situation where they worry about s- you're seeing, you know, CP, seeing, you know, Kansas City, Southern, whoever yeah. getting in front of them and they get moving in real investment because of some worry yeah. that everybody else is going to get in and they're going to do something. That's how I can see it working. I can see okay. it working mainly through competition worries versus demand expansion. But then see, once the thing rolls, then there's circularity. Then there's spending, maybe it does work. So yeah. this is what we don't know, and I frankly don't think anybody knows. Okay.
1: Now, I did look up a couple of the big like tech names because those haven't been performing as well as we've gotten closer to the passage of this legislation because everyone believes that it's not going to really impact them. And I did look up a couple numbers. So Facebook, um, they paid 18 dollars effective tax rate last year. So they're already under the rate. So obviously it's not really going to impact them. And Microsoft though, they paid 34%, but they only paid 1.9 billion, which is like nothing for them in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, they're going to see a cut there, but I don't think them having a little extra cash is really going to matter. But the area I feel like that really could see an impact even more so than what we've just discussed is on these small cap companies. So I looked up a couple of those. I looked up Thor Industries. They make the RVs. Um, That's been super hot record RVs because as the stock market's up, everybody feels good. This is a discretionary item. So they're already at record sales, but they paid a 32% tax rate last year. It was 182 million. So someone like them that's a big infusion of cash. What's the difference between these smaller companies or there's a couple others like J2 Global. Um, I looked up them. They're a digital media company in in Los Angeles. Actually they paid 27% last year and they paid 59 million out. But if they're suddenly getting a couple hundred, you know, a couple million dollars here up for a small company, you were explaining before we went on for the podcast about how that can make a difference because otherwise they're not going to the bank to get a loan or whatever else yeah. if they need to expand or add employees or whatever they're doing. So this could be a good infusion into these small cap companies. Absolutely.
0: Right? That's the distinction that has to be drawn is that if you think about it from uh, Pfizer having, you know, A rated entity, double A rated entity, um, getting a big infusion of cash out of their Iris subsidiary, big deal. Yeah. Right? Cause they have a hurdle rate of producing drugs over a long horizon. Um, they have the certain access to four or five percent coupon long-term bonds. So the the real value here is between a hurdle rate of fifteen percent, that five percent, or internal cash that they can put to work. It's really about whether they have fifteen percent ROI drug investments. But well, now take it into a J2 Global situation, where the bank you're a B-rated entity or a triple B-rated entity, you pay probably eight to twelve percent on the money. It's it's, it's not great, and if you really did have the cash, you are small enough, you really could grow, you really do yeah. have some ideas, you are a nimble company in a, in a space that's growing, you think, great. So it is true that the smaller companies, and if you think about it, we will see again when it happens, but it's yeah. certainly true that that's where it makes more intuitive sense to think, great, I have 100 million that I didn't have, I really do have opportunities, I'm growing 25% a year, it really will make a difference to be able to put the money to work right away without having to go into a high-yield market and pay a big coupon or talk to a bunch of banks and get a syndication together. I would rather not have to deal with that. It's going to be cleaner, faster, and cheaper. I'm moving, and they get moving. That yeah. is an answer like I just did, which you go, hey, you know, John, that that is reasonable. You're not just speaking in hyperbolic ways to make it sound good. Yeah. But if I say to Pfizer... I'm not convinced at all, you know, right. at right. all right. that the drug companies coming out of Ireland are going to start a drug yeah. research boom in Alzheimer's patients and cancer. I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think they have the researchers. I don't think they have the ideas. And I think the constraining elements are on the supply, the demand for, and, 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 availability of these higher ROI projects not the supply of capital yeah and and that's where so where the supply of capital matters smaller companies really small companies in particular is where a corporate tech mix matters and it is true you always want as an economist to keep people you know certainly up below 10 million in sales not paying anything yeah but the bigger numbers the harder thing is these j2 Globals where it's they're reasonably big right they probably do have some access to Decent money at decent prices. Mm -hmm. They do have existing bank relationships who will bank them. Do they spend it? Is it good or not? Remains to be seen. But the logic is a little stronger, more compelling there.
1: Okay. And one last question before we wrap up um, this show. What do you see on the inflation front? Will wages finally start to rise in 2018? Will the Fed fall behind on inflation in 2018? Or will it be more of the same that we've seen the last couple of years, even with this tight labor market?
0: You know, I I, I am beginning to think that one of the factors people are forgetting about is the health care, Medicare, fixed government payments of health care, and that they f- froze health Medicare payments the last five years. So there's there's a freezing of Medicare inflation. So I'm beginning to wonder. You know, once the numbers get run on CPIs, when we start fixing enough of it, it's just really tough for it to move. Yeah. I think the way you have to think about inflation better is to go through the components and think about them harder. I think this broad thing is confusing us because we're not seeing motion again and we're thinking, oh. Right. But again, if a government stops a price from moving and it's not moving because the government stopped it, is that really, quote, a low inflation environment? It might be that, in fact, all the other things are inflating quite dramatically 3 to 5%, uh, and it's just a few of these variables that are fixed that are keeping it lower than we think. Yeah. And, then, and so in effective terms on things that are actually market reflective, it, it, so I think this is where I'm headed, whereas I think enough markets are running, and then it all depends on how you put the CPI together and what you count. But I think, at this point in time, unless the Fed changes the way they look, they like the core PCE number, right? It's at 1-7, yeah. and the, one seven's yeah. not going to do it. And unless somebody wins with a big persuasive argument on a better way to look at other prices that are moving and gets everybody moving, which is not likely in a conservative environment like the Fed, they're not going to pay attention. So I think I would consider... What we got to remember is potential GDP... To real GDP, actual GDP to potential GDP is finally hit its tightness one to one, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably more important than the CPI because when we start thinking about the market, we want to know is the overall market exceeding its potential? That's when overheating happens. So that's what we have to watch really. Okay. And just kind of, it's just kind of like a stock versus fundamentals. Maybe we should pay attention to the fundamental excesses at the real and potential GDP level more than the CPI cuz the CPI's got all this weirdness. Okay. But that was where I think we should go and and this and hopefully end of the podcast on that note. Just yeah. pay attention to this idea that Actual and potential GDP, which you can look up on a Fred, St. Louis Fred thing. It's not okay. that hard. Don't don't think this is a thing you can't do on your own. Okay. But that's the way we can get a better answer.
1: All right. Well, we'll be watching that as well going into 2018, and I'm sure we'll be discussing it if the events change, obviously, later in the year. Um, but just recap some of those stocks, again, that we talked about that you might want to just put on your list to watch as these tax cuts move forward. Um, CVS was one of them, ticker CVS. And uh, Union Pacific, UP, isn't it UP? I UP, think it yeah. is. Yeah. Why, why was I calling it UNH? I don't know. I'm losing my mind. Um, it's UP. Some of the small caps, the Thor Industries is THO, and J2 Global is JCOM, JCOM, C-O, J-C-O-M for that one. And then some that won't have any impact, um, but everyone's watching them anyways. Facebook, FB, obviously, and Microsoft, MSF. T is that one so these are just some of the big names we're gonna be watching all of this in 2018 and as always we're gonna cover everything happening on the stock market and we'll bring you stock picks all throughout the year so be sure to tune in be sure to subscribe on both Apple on the Apple podcast as it's now called over there subscribe to get the show or on SoundCloud so that you don't miss an episode and we'll see you in 2018